This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Silvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. On June 7th, Cambridge-based Biogen announced the U.S. Food and Drug Administration had granted accelerated approval for Aduhelm, the first Alzheimer's disease drug to treat the pathology of amyloid plaque in the brains of patients with the disease. The news offered hope for the 6 million Americans who now suffer from the disease, and excitement from investors who helped Biogen's stock price climb more than 40%. But beneath the din of excitement, a group of scientists and health policy experts have expressed concerns about the efficacy and safety of Aduhelm. While the drug does address one characteristic of Alzheimer's disease, it is not clear if it addresses the dementia that devastates its victims. Also of concern is the expected cost of $56,000 per treatment Biogen intends to charge. Has our elaborate system of testing, approval, and procurement finally produced an effective treatment for Alzheimer's? Or has Aduhelm revealed deep flaws in our process that may have us spending billions on a drug with little clinical benefit? My guest today is Hannah Mamushka, precision medicine expert and CEO of Alva10DX. Hannah has written extensively about Aduhelm, expressing concerns that the difficulty diagnosing Alzheimer's disease will make Aduhelm's benefits difficult to measure. I'm also joined by visiting Pioneer Institute fellow, Dr. Bill Smith, to share his perspective as a former pharma executive on the possible reasons for the FDA's approval of a drug with debatable clinical benefits and a substantial price tag. We will also discuss how Aduhelm's approval has helped shine a light on the importance of participating in clinical trials for developing better medicines for everyone. When I return, I'll be joined by Hannah Mamushka and Pioneer Institute's Bill Smith. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now joined by Pioneer Institute's visiting fellow, Bill Smith, and Chief Executive of Alva10DX, Hannah Mamushka. Welcome back to Hubwonk, Bill and Hannah. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be here. All right. Well, our listeners have heard uh, the exciting headlines. Uh, I think they came out on June 7th uh, that a new drug had been approved by the FDA that will treat one of the most feared and devastating diseases of all, Alzheimer's disease. You've both written about the new drug and its release from, uh, from different perspectives. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Bill. Uh, you come from a background, uh, research background, but working at Big Pharma, uh, Pfizer, a big player in the development of new drugs. Now, Biogen just received approval for its Aduhelm drug, and certainly it's helped its uh, dr- uh, stock price jump more than 40%. Now, for the benefits of our listeners, what is Aduhelm? What are its benefits? How long has it been wandering through this approval process? And where are we now? Aduhelm is is an anti-amyloid drug, um, and there's a theory among some, and it's controversial in the medical community, that Alzheimer's disease uh, is driven by a a plaque that ends up on the brains of people suffering from the disease, and the plaque somehow interferes with signals in the brain, and people get dementia and memory loss and all the other symptoms of Alzheimer's. Now, again, that's a, that's a controversial theory, that anti-amyloid theory. Not everyone agrees with it, but, but people don't really know. Nobody really knows. And so what Aduhelm has, has shown, it hasn't shown very effective data as far as curing people's memory problems or dementia, but it's shown pretty good data in clearing plaque from patients' brains. 
Um, and, and that's, in my view, why the FDA ended up overruling the advisory committee and going ahead and approving this theory, approving this drug. They, they wanted to know once and for all, does clearing plaque from the brain uh, help uh, cure or at least mitigate the, the problems uh, related to Alzheimer's disease? So FDA uh, said it's definitely effective in this uh, clearing of plaque. It may be effective in helping with dementia, but that's not been demonstrated. Yeah, the, the data on dementia was was pretty weak, to be honest. They had two arms of the trial, and in one arm of the trial, that the placebo actually did better than the drug itself. Um, but the data on clearing plaque was pretty strong, at least according to Janet Woodcock, who's a senior person at the FDA. Um, so... Uh, I think the FDA just decided, look, we got we to find out whether this plaque is really driving Alzheimer's once and for all. And that's why they went ahead and approved this drug. That's my theory, but that's just okay. a guess. Okay. All right. Now, Hannah, you come at this from a precision medicine uh, universe, and I don't want to overly generalize uh, the merits of precision medicine, but in, in a nutshell, you want to acknowledge that every patient is different and perhaps uh, drugs should be targeted to individual patient characteristics rather than broadly applied and given to everyone. Um, and I guess the, the goal being you want to uh, save time, money, and perhaps help more people than you otherwise uh, do. Uh, what are your concerns then as someone who believes in uh, effective application of drugs? What are your concerns about Adjuhelm? So my primary concern with Aduhelm is right now we're doing a really poor job of actually diagnosing Alzheimer's disease uh, and distinguishing it from, um, from other types of dementia. You know, when we think about dementia, I think most people automatically think of dementia as being Alzheimer's disease, but that's actually really not true. Dementia can have a whole variety of different sources. You can have Lewy body dementia, you can have vascular dementia, dementia related to diabetes. You can even, even have signs of dementia that are from dehydration and malnutrition. And right now, the way that we distinguish between those types of dementia are through a series of what are called rule-out tests in that we're trying to rule out everything else and then come to a presumptive diagnosis of Alzheimer's because we actually don't have definitive diagnostic tools that tell you if a patient actually has Alzheimer's. So if a patient presents with subjective memory complaint and suspicion of dementia, the next step is to do cognitive function testing, some blood work, and then perhaps PET scans to look for a variety of pathological features, including the amyloid plaques that Bill was mentioning. But the problem is that our health insurance companies and Medicare don't cover those tests because they do not believe that they have what they define as clinical utility. Clinical utility means if I do this test, how will I treat a patient differently? And if there's nothing different that you would do with a patient, if you said that they had one type of dementia versus suspicion of Alzheimer's, payers have decided that it is not worth paying for those tests. And so what that does is it leaves a patient, for the most part, unless they're willing to pay for PET scans and cognitive function testing out of pocket, which typically run thousands of dollars, with a presumptive diagnosis of Alzheimer's but really no ability to distinguish between Alzheimer's and other diseases. And now what that does in the context of having Alduhelm on the market is you have this mixed heterogeneous population of some people who have true Alzheimer's disease and then some people who have a variety of different other types of dementia that are not Alzheimer's disease. 
And we don't have any way of distinguishing between those populations. But all of them, because they have a suspicion of Alzheimer's disease, will be candidates for Adihelm. Now, I don't want to bury the lead. We haven't talked about it yet, but I'm going to introduce it now. Um, Biogen, along with its approval, announced that the uh, um, uh, one uh, course of treatment will cost a, a patient $56,000. Uh, and there's an attending uh this, this medicine has to be uh, administered in a hospital and, and that those costs are roughly eleven thousand uh, dollars. So it's a big ticket. So now what you're saying, Hannah, is that uh, a patient's in a, in a primary care physician's office, uh, there's some dementia. Uh, but because uh, insurance won't pay to determine whether it's actually dementia, and even if they did, it's still uh, not easy to do, uh, we'll assume everyone has uh, Alzheimer's administer a very, very expensive drug and we're off to the races. Is that is that what you're describing? I think that's what we, we should be concerned about. Um, you know, hospitals view infusible drugs as cost centers. So hospitals, as you mentioned, um, are going to be required to infuse these drugs with the patient being on site because of the high rate of adverse event of these of the of Aduhelm. Um, I think 40% of patients in the clinical trials ended up with brain swelling and 17% of the patients ended up with microhemorrhages. So when patients are getting Aduhelm, they're going to be in the hospital. And the way our healthcare system works, there are administrative fees um, of administering the drug, which total 6% of the cost of the drug, in addition to the actual um, fees to actually infuse the drug, which both increases the total price per patient from starting at $56,000, um, but also really incentivizes hospitals to put as many patients on Aduhelm as possible um, because it's it's going to be a significant cost driver for them. So uh, Biogen gets $56,000, but the doc who prescribes it gets $3,000. Uh, yeah. Okay. The hospital does. <laughs> the hospital. Okay. Very good. Uh, Bill, um, again, you're coming from a, uh, a big pharma background. Um, what do you say to Hannah's uh, assertion that um, we really don't know who has Alzheimer's uh, definitively? Uh, that seems to uh, uh, challenge your view that we should uh, send this drug out anyway and see what happens. Uh, how can we, you know, in good faith, uh, know that maybe half of the people who get this don't have uh, Alzheimer's in the first place. Uh, Hannah mentioned some adverse side effects. H how does that calculus uh, work with you? Well, uh, Hannah's argument is very powerful. She's basically schooled me on how there are not great incentives in place to create diagnostic tests for, for many, many diseases. And, uh, and the market needs to be reformed so that there are uh, better uh, incentives to create diagnostic tests. Um, so I don't, I'm not Pollyannish about it. Um, <clears throat> I think my argument, however, is that, uh, you, you know, when you, you put a medicine out there and you put it in a couple hundred thousand patients, you get real world data and you figure out, does this work? Is it safe? A and that's the only really way to know. I, I, I told you this story before, but a, a very prominent research scientist at Pfizer that I knew quite well pulled me aside one time and he said, you know, I've done clinical trials my whole life, but I know that when I put a drug out there that after it's approved in a clinical trial, we don't really know how effective or safe it's going to be. We don't really know that until he said, we put it into 300,000 patients. Then we have real data. Then we know the drug is safe or effective. And so, you know, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. I, I, I'm not thrilled with Biogen's price. I'm not thrilled that, that hospitals might have incentives to 
prescribe a drug that may not work or may, may not be even uh, appropriate for patients that don't have Alzheimer's. But I certainly would like to get to the bottom of Alzheimer's disease and test the theory about whether amyloid plaque actually causes it. And I think this drug is one thing that will do that one way or the other, uh, negative or positive. We, we, we may finally determine whether amyloid plaque is what, what drives Alzheimer's disease. So I, you make a good point, but uh, when you throw out a number like 300,000, um, now this, has, uh, this drug has approval. Uh, we have roughly 6 million Americans with Alzheimer's. Um, uh, and this drug, we just talked about the enormous price. Uh, one doesn't have to be great with math to know uh, the end result will be astronomical for this. Let's try it out and see how it works. Uh, to put some uh, color on these, these numbers, if we say it, um, the cost is, we have 6 million people with uh, Alzheimer's, let's, let's assume 1 million will wanna be treated in a year. Um, 1 million people times the cost of the drug, we're looking at roughly $50 billion in a year for a single drug. Again, for our listeners who don't follow these uh, uh, costs, uh, Medicaid, uh, Medicare Part D, which is the drug part of Medicare, um, spends $91 billion on all drugs for the 46 million people who are part of it. That's saying 46 million people get $91 billion for drugs. This is for a single drug, for those million people with Alzheimer's, $50 billion. Doesn't that, in a sense, argue against, let's roll it out there and see what happens? Well, the, the, uh, the, the chicken little fiscal scenarios that people have been writing about uh, Aduhelm on uh, remind me of exactly what happened with Silvaldi. The same thing happened. If we put all patients, I remember the head of the Medicaid Association saying, if we put all patients on Silvaldi uh, that, that really require it, it would, we would spend more on Silvaldi than we spend on all other drugs in Medicaid. Uh, and the problem with that argument is that there are, this is a marketplace. Uh, there are three other anti-amyloid drugs in phase three clinical trials, and the Lilly drug has pretty good data. So, and there are, there are 13 anti-amyloid drugs in phase two, um, and there are 126 agents that are being tested in trials for Alzheimer's disease. So the reason Biogen's pricing is probably high, and I'm guessing because I don't know anyone from Biogen, they're not members of Pioneer or anything, but when you're first in the market, you charge a lot. And because you know right behind you is another drug coming and you're gonna have to cut your price. Um, and I imagine that's part of Biogen's thinking. When the Lilly drug comes on market, just like the Harvoni, I think was the second um, drug for hep C that was approved, the price dropped astronomically. Um, because there was competition in the market. So I, I'm just, I'm not, again, I don't want to be Pollyannish, but I, I'm not sure every Alzheimer's patient in Medicare is going to be put on this drug, particularly because the data is not that strong. I think uh, if it's not proving effective, uh, that, that payers are going to restrict it, that, that Medicare may restrict it, Medicaid is going to do prior authorizations, and and it's not going to be, it's not going to have great uptake. Um that's just my opinion. Again, I don't want to be Pollyannish. The costs are substantial, and there are many, many uh, Alzheimer's patients out there. But I just don't see a scenario in which every single Alzheimer's patient in the country is put on this drug. Hannah, do you want to add to that? 
I mean, I think I think this is really be where commercial payers will really push back. Um, and my hope is that this will make them realize that they need to understand who their Alzheimer's population is. Um, you know, if you have a drug, there's no question we need drugs in Alzheimer's disease. Um, with the trajectory of our population and the prevalence of Alzheimer's disease, we need to find good drugs that will slow dementia, that will allow people to keep their cognitive function. There's no question about that. And I think that the research that the pharma industry has done in the past 20 years um, will produce significant molecules um, in the next decade. But if we don't know who has Alzheimer's disease, I think it actually, I think it makes it harder for pharma um, to do what they want to do. And I think in some ways, pharma's tried to have it both ways because they are spending billions of dollars trying to develop these drugs and they want to have as big of a market as possible. And I completely understand that. But I think that has been one of the challenges with getting some of these drugs like solituzumab that you mentioned from Lilly um, through the approval process is that if you don't really truly know who has Alzheimer's and maybe, you know, Joe, to your earlier point, what type of Alzheimer's you have and you're trying to treat the entire population with a drug, you know, if you think about it with a cancer analogy, 50 years ago, we thought of cancer as a much more homogeneous disease than we know it is today. And in, in cancer, now you would never consider, you know, cancer to be one disease and you would never consider a treatment for, quote, cancer to be treating all cancer patients. And I think that the better understanding of the biomarkers of the genetics and the genomics of Alzheimer's disease is going to lead us down that path in Alzheimer's disease, where in 20 years, we're not going to be talking about Alzheimer's disease, we're going to be talking about different pathologic and genotypic types of Alzheimer's disease, and we will have drugs that work in those subsets. But I think we are at this chicken and egg position right now of how do we diagnose Alzheimer's disease and how do we get a drug to the market that treats Alzheimer's disease while we identify those different subsets and really look at the, the different patient populations that they'll be effective in. So again, we're coming back to the precision medicine uh, theme, which is to say, uh, you know, a drug company wants a very big market. So um, untested populations may make that market bigger, but ultimately um, the results are more diffuse because ultimately you're treating lots of people who ought not to be treated uh, to get a result in a very small uh, subset of that population, right? So you want, um, you have uh, a small group uh, who stand to benefit, uh, but a large group who could purchase, right? I mean, that, that's the rub. That, that is the way drug development has gone and I think will continue to go. We, now, we, we, all of us have been on uh, Hubwonk on earlier episodes talking about the FDA and, and largely in, in uh, less favorable terms when we we're talking about the pandemic and uh, its uh, uh, lack of approval of different testing regimes, right? Um, they were slow uh, and they were wrong. Um, this is, seems like the opposite effect whereby they're actually, uh, this is an emergency approval or um, and it seems by my estimate, to be actually faster than it should have been. In fact, uh, Bill made mention of the fact that the um, FDA's uh, advisory board uh, were up in arms. Uh, in fact, when the FDA approved this drug, Adjuhelm, uh, one of the uh, uh, you know, local uh, Harvard professor, um, Dr. Kesselheim, resigned over the approval of this drug, uh, saying it was, quote, probably the worst drug approval in recent US history. Um, you know, so we, whereas in COVID, we were worried they were too slow. Now we're worried they're too fast. Um, 
Bill, uh, you know, this is your this is your wheelhouse. Why do you think the FDA uh, was so eager to get this out to the public, even uh, in the face of a uh, advisory board who weren't too happy about that? Yeah, Joe, I can only guess about that. And my guess is, again, that uh, the FDA has not approved anything for Alzheimer's disease in many years. Uh, and this is one way, again, to test the amyloid plaque theory is to throw this drug out there and see how well it does. I am concerned about the safety data that, that Hannah talked about. Um, you know, in my view, I'm, I'm somewhat libertarian on the drug approval process. My view is that if a drug proves safe in clinical trials, and the efficacy data is not that strong, put it out there. Just put it out there because, you know, people aren't going to be harmed by it uh, because it's safe. And we'll find out whether it works on the efficacy side. Um, uh, this drug doesn't have such great safety data and doesn't have such great efficacy data. So I understand the, the concerns of the medical professionals. Uh, but again, from what the FDA said, it had very strong data as far as clearing amyloid plaque from the brain. And, and my guess is that's why they approved it. They want to test whether this theory of amyloid plaque is what's driving Alzheimer's disease. And this drug will prove it one way or the other. Uh, Hannah, if you were on that advisory board, knowing what you know, uh, would you uh, have resigned over the re uh, approval? Or is this uh, something that uh, you think, okay, the, the be possible benefits, you know, we're going to say just possible because they're not proven, possible benefits outweigh the um, measured harm? Yeah, I understand what Bill's saying, and I and I agree that I think that's why the FDA approved it is because I think they they want to know this question about amyloid has been a, a question, and I think the question is really is amyloid um, causing dementia or is it a product of it, and I think that is the big question that is it's virtually impossible to test while patients are alive. Um, you can really only test for understanding amyloid after patients are deceased, and that doesn't help you understand the disease process. So really the only way to understand it is as the patients are going through it. Um, I think that such a broad approval, however, um, is gonna put a lot of patients at risk. The, the severe side effects from this drug are substantially more than the potential benefit. And I think that that's, I think that's a real deviation from usual FDA approvals, because the FDA has approved things with very marginal outcomes benefit, particularly in serious diseases like oncology. But they have always really stayed the course on safety. And I'm not really understanding why they deviated so much here. Um, I would, uh, that, that is really surprising to me. Now, if, if I were a, a, um, a patient with Alzheimer's considering this drug um, or considering uh, all the other uh, uh, drugs in the pipeline that uh, you, Hannah, and Bill mentioned, um, and someone says, would you rather the FDA-approved drug, and those side effects may not be um, presented to the patient, or this experimental drug, which uh, might actually help you, but uh, because it's not been FDA approved yet, um, you may not opt for it. So we have an approved drug that has marginal benefit and, and clear drawbacks and unapproved, potentially far better drugs that uh, would have to uh, compete uh, for that, that patient. Um, doesn't this serve to crowd out uh, better alternatives? Um, again, this is a layperson speaking. So if it's a dumb question, just humor me, please. Well, Joe, I, you know, look, <laughs> Getting back to uh, the FDA approval and, and, and testing the, the uh, anti-amyloid theory, um, you know, there are, there are 17, 18 drugs now in clinical trials that, that would target amyloid black. Um, and so you have 
billions of dollars literally being spent on clinical trials to try to solve Alzheimer's where it, they may be going down the wrong path, completely the wrong path. And there may be other, other targets uh, that, they, that these companies should be, um, should be directing uh, medications towards. And, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic with, with 126 agents in the pipeline that, as Hannah said, we're going to find out uh, we're going to find out the truth, uh, but uh, Aduhelm is going to help do that. Um, now, it's unfortunate the cost, the inefficiency, all the uh, arguments Hannah made about half the patients may not even have Alzheimer's disease or they get put on this drug. Those are all big, big problems, and, and I take them seriously. Um, but getting to the bottom of Alzheimer's, which this drug will help do, is, is really should be the, the, the primary focus of, of the FDA and the industry. Hannah, do you want to comment on that? I hope that the press um, that Aduhelm has gotten, and frankly, the press that clinical trials in general have gotten over the past 15 months, will really open people's eyes to the potential to participate. Because I think that the fastest way that we're going to get information for how to solve Alzheimer's disease is to enroll clinical trials as quickly as possible. And I hope that people will consider that. Um, and that people who have um, questions about dementia, um, suspicion of dementia, their family members have suspicion of dementia, um, who may be candidates for Aduhelm or who may be candidates for a trial um, of a different drug or a different mechanism of action, will really consider that. Because, you know, in drug development, the clinical trial enrollment is the biggest challenge and it is the thing that slows down drug development the most is accruing patients in clinical trials because that is that is the ultimate tool of how we understand how drugs work. Um, so I, I hope that this really brings a spotlight to that and that will allow acceleration so that we understand these questions. So it may not have been the, uh, the goal of this accelerated approval, but it has been the result, uh, which is to, as you say, shine a light and get more people uh, standing in line, regardless of the benefit. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the time together. Uh, I do want to say um, uh, it's a more philosophical question. Um, the cost, again, of, of this drug is substantial. It's $56,000 just for the drug, and, and all the other attending costs are quite substantial. Uh, way back uh, at the uh, beginning when uh, Medicare, and, and of course, we're talking about Alzheimer's patients, and most of them are eligible both for Medicare or Medicaid or dual eligible. So largely, the cost of these drugs falls to Uncle Sam or state, state uh, budgets. Um, back when uh, Medicare was created, uh, they went to great pains to promise people that uh, costs wouldn't constrain doctors' uh, choices. Um, I think the quotation was, uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't deny anyone unless the uh, treatment was, uh, was not reasonable and necessary for the diagnosis or treatment of illness or injury. Um, the key word there is reasonable. Reasonable is doing a lot of work in that, that statement. Um, given the marginal benefit and potential harm and the enormous cost, uh, shouldn't at some point the FDA or, or the, or the uh, Medicare impose some constraint on what a reasonable cost for a reasonable benefit uh, should be. Yeah, Joe, look, you know, the Medicare could, could, CMS could make a coverage determination on this drug and restrict access to certain types of patients, you know, maybe in early stages of, of dementia or other, other criteria. And Medicaid can do the same thing. It's a, sort of a myth. I've, I've seen stories out there that say, oh, well, Medicaid will be required to cover this drug. That's, that's completely false. Medicaid has all sorts of tools most importantly, prior authorization for restricting access to different drugs. 
So the government could, if the data is not strong as this drug rolls out, the government could say, no, we're not going to pay for it for, you know, 75% or or more of the Alzheimer's population. Um, and, you know, and if, if it's not proved effective and it has safety issues, they should do that. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not arguing that we should throw it out there unrestricted. Um, uh, we should keep a careful eye on the data, which I'm sure, as Hannah said, the commercial payers will do. They, they the insurance companies are really good at big data now, and they they know they'll they'll figure out how effective this drug is in in the population they administer it to. So, um, and, and you know, and if it proves ineffective, when it proves there's a lot of brain swelling and brain bleeds and all sorts of other problems, restrict it. Um, and if it proves not effective, restrict it. I, I'm not. A, I don't want Medicare to spend tens of billions of dollars on a drug that's not targeting Alzheimer's patients and not effective and not safe. Um, and and they have the tools to restrict it if they want to do that. Um, and my my inclination would be to look carefully at the data as this rolls out. If it's once it's in a hundred thousand patients, start looking at how effective it is, how what the safety issues are, and then then make a determination. That's what policymakers do. Yeah, my hope that this is going to be, I really hope this will become um, something that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, the CMMI Center, takes up, because I think that this is a perfect case study um, for the work that they have been intended to do, and really take a very broad perspective of how are we going to diagnose, monitor for progression, monitor for response, monitor for adverse events, and really assess within the Medicare population, if this is an effective tool, who it is effective for, who it should be used for, and who it should be covered for. Um, so I really hope that CMMI takes this up because I think this is a real opportunity to show that Medicare, that our government can use data in the same way that commercial payers can and really consider how taxpayer money is being spent in healthcare. I noticed in that uh, case of for CMMI, uh, a way forward is a, a strong case for uh, testing and precision medicine, right? We we want to know this is a, a textbook. Why do we need testing? Because we don't want to waste a heck of a lot of money on, you know, medicating the wrong people. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, patients don't want to go on a drug that's not going to work for them and they don't want to go on a drug. You know, if there's a way to identify who's going to have micro hemorrhages or significant brain swelling, Patients want to know that ahead of time. Nobody wants to go on a drug that's going to cause them to have a brain injury as a result of a drug that doesn't have any clinical benefit to them. Um, so I think it's, I do, I think it's a perfect indication for that. Wonderful. Um, so down to the last question, our, our uh, listeners like to be informed, uh, but they don't like to just sit around and complain. Uh, they like to do something. What could uh, our listeners who are either uh, unfortunately uh, diagnosed patients or their families or um, legislators or, you know, doctors who are listening to the show, what can they do to take this information and apply it and, and, and make the most of Adjuhelm and, and these trials and, and, and the future? Well, Joe, I'll take that one. Uh, you know, I, uh, I want to repeat what Hannah said. Get your, get your relative involved in a clinical trial. There's there are 126 of them going on right now with all different kinds of, of uh, Alzheimer's agents. And, uh, you know, get them in a trial and see see what works. Um, that that's really that's really an important thing. Um, and I also would recommend that you don't uh, don't let your primary care doctor put you carelessly on Aduhelm without really understanding and having some firm understanding that you, you your relative actually does have Alzheimer's disease. Um, you don't want it to be a casual decision given the 
the safety issues involved in this drug. Um, so, you know, those are the two things I'd recommend. Yeah, I think I echo what Bill says. I mean, I think it's important if you have, if you or your a loved one is being considered to be put on Adahelm, ask how the diagnosis was come to, you know, ask what the PET scan showed, ask about the cognitive function testing and um, have an understanding of what your insurance is covering and what kind of information you have access to. And then also consider a clinical trial, because th this is how we will advance medicine, um, getting better medicines to Alzheimer's patients that are going to make a difference is the faster participation, the better participation in clinical trials will only accelerate and have more options for these patients. So that, that's a great place to leave it. We should all sign up for our respective clinical trials and, and make uh, the world, uh, the future a better place. Is, do I have that right? Yes. <laughs> all right. Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been a great show. I think uh, our listeners have learned a lot. Um, and uh, let's hope this is a, a breakthrough. Let's hope uh, this is the start of something wonderful for uh, those people suffering from a terrible disease. Thank you, Hannah. And thank you, Bill, for joining me on Hubwonk. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. If you enjoyed today's show and Hubwonk, there are several ways to support us. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your podcatcher. It would also help us if you offer a five-star rating or a positive review. Naturally, it will help if you share us with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for topics for future episodes, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. <laughs>